Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey there, you're listening to The Bustle Huddle, and I'm your host, Caitlin Aber. So today we're going to be talking about something that no one really wants to talk about. It's the source of a lot of shame, anxiety, and fear. Our student loans. Sure, I know it's not the most fun conversation, but that's exactly why we need to have it. Knowledge is power, my friends, and today we're diving right in. First, some facts. Chances are good that you or someone you know is in the midst of some student loan drama. According to a February 2018 study published by the Levy Institute, there are 44.2 million Americans with student loans, which totals $1.4 trillion worth of debt. To add some context to that number, with $1.4 trillion, I could buy like 100 billion dog sweaters. But unfortunately, I can't because I got to pay my bills. Yep, I am also up to my ears in student loans. So here at Bustle, we wanted to learn more about how we got into this mess in the first place. And if so many of us have student debt, why are we still afraid to talk about it? Today's guests include Gabby Dunn, a writer, actor, and host of the podcast, Bad With Money, financial expert Ramona Ortega of My Money, My Future, and Danny Funkhauser, someone who's managed to pay off over $70,000 worth of loans on a writer's salary by age 30. Yep, it can be done. First up, we hopped on the phone with Gabby Dunn. Gabby, thank you so much for coming on the Bustle Huddle. I was hoping you could talk a little bit about what you've learned in the last couple years of Bad With Money. So I didn't even really know what the deal was with my student loans when I started Bad With Money. I, I found out that I had three in that two were $2,000 or something. And then uh, one of them was, you know, for like $30,000. And I also realized that my mom had been paying them, which I didn't know. And also she was paying them off in like very small amounts. And so I was like, well, let me like, let's pay some of them off. Let me take this over. I went to Emerson in Boston, did not look into how many loans I would have to take out, did not look into anything. When my sister was 18, she went into a tattoo parlor and asked if the guy would tattoo her neck. And he said, no, you're 18. Like, like I'll tattoo your neck when you have more tattoos and when you, in 10 years, you know, but I'm not going to tattoo your neck when you're 18. And like, I keep thinking of student loans as like neck tattoos. Like you take them out when you're 18 and nobody says to you, you probably are going to want to think about that. Right now I'm still paying for like chicken tenders I ate when I was 18. Right. You know, because you take out this money and it's the first time maybe you have money and suddenly you don't know how to use it properly or what it means to have it. It's really scary to take back your debt and your student loans. But what's the case for doing that? As early as you can know what the situation is, you should. Interest builds up and like you really have to just 
even take a look at it. And, and I mean, I didn't look at mine for 10 years. I had no concept of what, of how many I had, of what they were, of what company they were with, nothing. And that's like a huge thing that's like going to affect my ability to put a down payment on a house or any, any sort of going forward in the future. And so you got to start looking, you got to take your head out of the sand. What were some things you found helpful when you were ready to take your head out of the sand and sort of just like facing the facts about your own financial identity? Well, I didn't really have a choice because like I was kind of doing it for the, the show. And also my mom was paying the minimums and stuff, but my parents don't have that kind of money. And so it kind of was this really weird conversation. I mean, it's awkward conversations always, but like it was this weird conversation with my mom where I was like, take emotions out of it. Like, can you afford to be paying my student loans? And she was like, no. And I was like, okay, then I'll do it. And it's not necessarily like that I can either. Cause it's certainly like, for me, I think right now it's like 600 something a month. And that for most of my twenties was like my rent. You started telling this, um, your own student loan story as part of the bad with money podcast. Mm-hmm. That was like a year and a half ago, right? Like two years. Yeah. 2016. So How's it going? How are your student loans today? Uh, two of the two small ones I paid off. Congratulations! Thank you. The letters on my my refrigerator. The big one is still there. So the big one was at thirty, and now it's at twenty six. So I try to pay them off, and like if I get like a chunk of money, and and I don't have to like put that money in retirement or pay off credit cards or, and you know, a million other things that come up, then I'll be like, oh, well, let me throw a cool thousand over here. So, I mean, I'm trying to get out ahead of interest. Yeah. I mean, that's a big part of it is I think a lot of people don't understand how interest rates work. I mean, I've made this my like full-time job for the last like two and a half years and I still don't understand anything. It is so purposefully confusing and it is so predatory you know, like even stuff where they'll send an award letter, but you don't know if it's a loan or a gift, like the language is confusing. And that's on purpose. So I wouldn't be worried about understanding all of it and understanding everything. I think, you know, there's definitely like loan forgiveness programs that you should absolutely look into. Some of my friends out of school went into nonprofit specifically to like get loan forgiveness. Like there are certain things that you can do that's like smart. If you have the a wherewithal and inclination to do it. But I'm just like an average Joe. I just am paying them down and like hoping for the best. I think our producer wants to hop in with a a follow-up. So I just consolidated my loans and honestly, I'm still not even sure if it's a scam. What's your thoughts on the new generation of loan consolidators? (sighs) Well, I actually talked to a, a loan consolidation expert and he was like, anyone who tells you that there's one size fits all for student loans is a liar or trying to sell you something. There are some people that consolidating will make you like not eligible for certain forgiveness programs. I also know it's like easier to consolidate, right? Like, have you found that it's sort of easier to to make the payments? Is that the big draw for you? Yeah, because I've gone from paying like $1,100 to $660. Mm -hmm. It's like almost a devil's number. Um, And so I understand that I waived my right to forgiveness um, for deferment in case I ever lose my job. It's going to be a big challenge if that ever comes up. Right. Yeah. 
it's like it's all like this gambling game. You're just like betting that certain things will or won't happen. Like you said, you know, consolidating major payments lower monthly, but it also you opt out of deferment programs, you opt out of forgiveness programs. And it's kind of the same with like almost everything that I've learned in personal finances. It's like you're basically just betting on like what taxes will be in the future. And like nobody knows that we could all be in space. Well, one of our questions was, you know, like if you have this enormous student loan balance, but you also don't really have a savings, which is the better thing to put money into? You know, like, do you put most of the most of the experts, quote unquote, experts that I've talked to have said to pay the student loans because that has interest adding up. And but some people say that student loans are like not as bad of a debt to have. Like if you have credit card debt, you got to pay that off before you save anything. But student loans kind of operate in this little mixed area where they're sort of seen as like respectable. Like, oh, you did this cool thing. So you that's why you have loans. So sometimes it feels like student loans are a thing that's happening to us. But how is there a way we can take back control and do something about this? So there's there's student loan justice. There's studentdebtcrisis.org. There's a lot of like radical places that kind of are, or the debt collective, that's one where it's basically like people together sort of trying to just be like this, this norm isn't, isn't working. You know, everyone's alone. That's the biggest problem with money is that everyone is alone and everyone's going through stuff alone and everyone's judging themselves. And if once you realize oh, hey, this is like a thing that's happening to millions of people across the country. It's not a personal failure. People take things to be like, I am a bad person. I am deficient. But it's not a personal failure. It's clearly a systemic failure. So I think there's like reason to look into stuff like that. I think that that's a great segue to the next question, which is when you're sitting around, maybe you're out to dinner with some friends or you're talking And you all sort of feel like you're on the same page, but no one really knows what the other person's bank account looks like. How can we better have conversations with each other where we can be honest, less judgmental about each other and ourselves, and really use the information we have to empower each other? You just got to, like, talk to each other. You just have to, like, I know it's vulnerable. You just kind of have to be the first person to say something. I mean, people talk about, like, Salary transparency, which is like, you know, this this thing that made me really uncomfortable. You have to like share tricks and tips with each other and and talk about things that you're doing. And like if you come up with a good idea, share it with people and because like no one else is looking out for you. And and studies have shown that nobody is gonna know more about how to maximize profits in your community and area than other people in that community. It's talking to like your next door neighbor or talking to like like I'm a queer person, right? And so talking to like another queer woman in Los Angeles would be like my best bet for figuring out what works for me versus reading a website from a person who maybe doesn't live in my area or hasn't had my experience. Research has shown that like you can get the most information from people within like whatever mile radius of your house. So Gabby, where can people learn more about you and your work and check out all the Bad With Money stuff? You can find me at Gabby Dunn on Twitter and uh, at Gabby Road on Instagram. And you can also find me on Bad With Money Season 3, which is airing now anywhere you can find podcasts. And then I have a book 
I have one book that came out last year called I Hate Everyone But You. Um, and then I have a, a Bad With Money book coming out in January that there'll be more information about coming up. Awesome. Thank you so much. I feel like you've been such a great help to so many people. So really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for listening to the show. You can listen to Gabby's podcast, Bad With Money, and I definitely recommend that you do wherever you listen to podcasts. Ramona Ortega is the founder of My Money, My Future. She sat down with Bustle's Melissa Louis-Jock to talk about how student loans impact women of color and what they can do about it. Thanks for coming in, Ramona. It's so nice to have you here at Bustle. Absolutely. I love Bustle. So yeah. I'm super excited to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your company and, and where you got how you got there and why? So I'm the founder of My Money, My Future. We are a digital platform to help millennials, particularly diverse millennials, make better money decisions. When I was growing up, no one told me what I should be doing with my money. I didn't have anybody I trusted for advice. And so I made probably about 15 years of really bad money mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> and in my second iteration of my career, I did a number of things and then ended up in Wall Street. And what that gave me was a really interesting insight and open book to sort of the tools and resources people have to manage money and build wealth, more importantly. And I said, well, how do we take this information and make it accessible? What would I have told my 20-year-old self? It's funny, actually, when um, I kind of got the preface to you, I really understood your point of view. So my dad's from Haiti. He's from Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Um, he's an immigrant. And my mom is from Brooklyn, but her parents are from China. So it's actually a conversation that I have a lot that I feel like with actually my friends of color that I feel like we weren't prepped to kind of deal with our finances. So I actually have my MBA. The only things I learned in an MBA is how to understand loans, how to understand interest rates, how to understand, you know, what credit card to do or, or, or how to actually read these contracts and understand these terminologies that in reality, everyone should know. Sure. We're not setting up people well to build wealth or even to kind of think smart financially. And um, I think it really shows with emphasis with people of color, communities of color. That's right. And, and it's not just community of color, but I think that, that we have a very particular history in this country that has literally barred us from building wealth many times. And we think about redlining and certain mm -hmm. loans and, I mean, even the mortgage crisis, right? So black and Latino families lost 50% of their net worth in the mortgage crisis wow. because they traditionally have always invested in homes and in, in real estate, right? Because right? people don't buy what they don't know. Exactly. And so yeah. what they knew and what they know historically is like, oh, you buy a property. Right. And it's a very right. immigrant sort yeah. of tradition, right? You exactly. buy property, but you don't diversify. So you don't mess with the stock market because right. I don't know that. Right. And so I'm not going to put my money somewhere that I don't know yeah. about. So I have a 401k for my old job and I needed to roll over. I was like, okay, like, what are my options? What can I do? You know, et cetera. And I called my mom, who's right. like Chinese, you know, American. She's successful. She's a physician assistant. And I was like, so what do you think I should do? This is what it is, blah, blah, blah. I gave her the pros and the cons. And her response was, honestly, I don't know. And then she, I was telling her like my percent of growth and she was just like, my percent was like 13% or something, and I haven't done anything. I haven't put any right. money into it. And she was just like, I invest extremely conservatively. Mm. Like, my, my growth rate is like less than 5%. Ooh, like, something ouch. really bad. She was just like, I 
I don't know what's best. She's like, when I grew up, we were taught not to talk to people about money. Right. And, what, and then what she said, what was interesting <clears throat> was like, you know, I was telling her about maybe I wanted to talk to someone that was a little bit more equipped in like financial advising. She actually said to me, yeah, well, you know, maybe you should ask Lynn and John or you should ask. She started listing off white families that I knew and she was just like all I know is that she didn't have to work and they went on vacation every year so they must be doing something. so it's, it's like what you're saying with this building wealth you know I was taught how to survive and I was taught how to get a good job and you're taught an amazing work ethic right but you're not really taught how to extend that, how to make it last and make ger- generational wealth, right? Yeah, that's right. And it's interesting. One of our mottos is don't just survive, thrive. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a really big thing because especially, I would say, first generation, not only college, but first generation professional yeah. folks, it's we're sort of thinking about the salary and that's important. That's right. an important part of your net worth. Sure. But it's not the only thing. Basically, there's a hierarchy. First, it's like white men <laughs> that know everything <laughs> yeah. about money. And right? their, their wives don't have to work. Right. They go on vacation. <laughs> they went on vacation every year and they had a dog. That's what she told me. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> they had a dog, a big house, went on vacation every year and Lynn never worked. <laughs> I love that that was her marker of, that of was understanding fine, right? It's very so it made it, about yeah, your yeah. family and like your home and what, and what he could do. Mm-hmm. Right. So white men I would say some what men of color like mm-hmm. I think there's like a deference to men generally that made it and, right and yeah. then it's sort of white women and then women of color are the like the least experts mm-hmm. in money there are things that you learn going forward but I learned them very late in life right yeah. even when we think about student debt for example because let's go into sort of really one of the first places where folks of color really get screwed I'm not an immigrant. My family, you know, is third generation Mexican-American from California, but I was the first to go to college. We have a lot in common with a lot of African-American communities also in the South, right? It's generational poverty, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. So it's not like people didn't speak English. That right. wasn't why. Right. I think it's really important to understand that, right? So we're just catching up. I'm going right. to be the first generation to receive any wealth inheritance. Right. We're going to bear the brunt of the financial sort of student debt crisis because most of the time our parents, our grandparents did not set up some fund or some trust fund. A grandparent didn't die and leave us some money. Mm -hmm. Those are things that happen in other communities and they're set up. And so what happens is that when you come out of college and even when you, you know, get married, someone's giving you that down payment. Right. Right. I mean, that was one of the questions I remember when I was working and, and I'm my kind of first professional job and I was mm-hmm. making decent money and somebody had bought a house was going to buy a house. And I was just like, How, I make <laughs> the same amount of money. And I like, but I was just like, how's that? Right. I have a girlfriend my age. She's black American. Her family is from the South. She's the first to go to college. She makes really good money and she bought a uh, like a co-op or something. And I asked her, I said, how did you get this house? You know, like I can barely buy organic chicken. Like, how do you have a house with a living (laughs) room, a guest room, a guest bathroom? And she explained to me the financial, she has a financial advisor. She explained, you know, oh, if you look into it, you could actually pull from your um, 401k as a first time um, home buyer. And all of these things that I would have never known if I didn't start the conversation, if she didn't start the conversation. And it's funny because her mom advised her by saying, well, at the office, I I work at the way the men do it. Her mom's a receptionist at a financial company, one of the best financial companies in in um, L.A. 
Gotcha. So by just overhearing the conversations that happen in the office, she's like, well, I think this. And and that's how she tries to help her daughter, you know. So, gotcha. So I think that's my, my friend and I would talk about that all the time, you know, that there shouldn't be this sort of stigma to asking other people, like, how did you get that? Like, how did how did you make that happen? Because I would love to figure out how to make that happen. To me that's too. right. And folks of color always talk about being broke. When we're together, we're like, oh, damn, I'm so yeah. broke. Right? It's almost it's almost like you like liked like like misery loves company almost, right? right? Where if you are around like young white men who have MBAs, for example, yeah. it's all about, oh, I'm investing in this, I'm investing in crypto, yeah, it's I'm fine. Like doing yeah. this. It's just changing the narrative. Being able to be honest, being able to sort of share tips, because that's how we learn. Yeah. Because money is personal. It's very personal. And it's not about, like, that you were just trying to be out there spending money in some kind of crazy way. There's a lot of stigma. There's so many things from your childhood. Exactly. From things from, like, how your family cherished money. You know, having that cultural reference is really Mm -hmm. important for us to understand sort of our nuances with money and why we make certain money decisions. I know for me, deprivation was a is a mm-hmm. huge trigger. When you don't grow up with financial stability, mm-hmm. you almost always feel like you're never calm. Right. Like totally. even with jobs, you're like, yeah. oh wait, I gotta have five jobs. Yeah. Even though like I'm like I got <laughs> yeah, a law yeah. degree, I've got a company, and I'm like, no, I gotta wait. I gotta. What's my next hustle? It's I gotta, all about the hustle. It's yeah, because yeah, you're always yeah. like. It's scarcity. Yeah. Right? It's almost Absolutely. like you're, you don't know when it's going to go away. Absolutely. Right? So, so where do you think you start? If we're talking about student debt, I mean, I think it's absolutely one of the first things. So just a couple of kind of like tips, especially as we talk about first-gen folks in college. Think about what you're going to do. Like, do you need college anymore? And I, and I hate to say this because I was one of those families like, you have to go to college because it was a marker of making it because there wasn't enough mm-hmm. people that went to college. So given that, I will say that I'm not sure that college at this point is the best route for everyone. Community colleges, I'm really, you know, I went to community college. Yeah. I left school early. I mean, I saved a little bit of money. It was right. mostly because I just didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you have the option to live at home while you're going to school, and it's not going to be that much of an interference, you should do that. Yes. Understanding your major. If your dream is like, okay, I want to go to UCLA. Why do you want to go to UCLA? Because it's the best in X field and it's going to get me that job. If you're sort of like, man, I'm going to go to school because I kind of need to. I suppose what I'm supposed to do. You know what? Mm-hmm. Look at your your options. At the end of the day, I will say graduate school is probably a more important marker. I agree. Yeah. For like, and that's where you want to like spend jobs. the majority of your right, money. Right. If you want to spend money on mm-hmm. something, if if right. So those are a couple of things. And then going into it, I think it's really understanding interest rates. Whether mm-hmm. you're paying interest in school right. or after. So if you can start paying off that interest while you're in school. Right. To do better, it. Right. Look, I worked through school. You can do it. I, it's not yeah. easy. It, it's not. But life ain't easy. So, no, you know, know what I mean? I'm just like, think about it as being preventative. Right. So right. here's a couple of things that you can do before you get into the debt. I made every mistake with student loans that I could. I took the max. I was working, but I, I don't even know what loans I took. Right. I mean, right. it was just that crazy. Right. Yeah. So once you're out, First jobs out of out of college or even at a professional degree, you want to start asking things about loan forgiveness, HR programs, which are now big, right? So they're recruiting people by saying, hey, we will help you pay off your, your loans, your student loans. Also about 
bonuses, sign-on bonuses, because that's a good way to make maybe a lump sum payment. That you can, right, right, it's, right. You know, so these are the kinds of things, right? Budgeting is going to be huge, clearly. I mean, it's... That's so hard. I, I feel <laughs> like I try making a budget every month. And it was actually really good. One thing that I did, I wrote out every single um, transaction I made for the, for a month. This is the year of finances for me. Like, right. I am trying so hard. There's no one, there's there, not a silver bullet. There's no one and done. Nope. Right. And Mm-mm. this isn't even like weight loss where like <laughs> I can work hard for three months and then I'm like, you know, beach bod ready. No, this is like a several year commitment. So I had $600 worth of miscellaneous, like I didn't even know where it went. Like I couldn't even remember, like I couldn't even tell you where it went. Right, and right. they ranged from like $5 to $100 purchases. Sure. So I was like, it actually did help me because it made me realize like this is $600 that could have went to my credit card or to my student right. loans right. that literally went to God knows what, which was probably like probably bubble target. tea. Yeah. <laughs> or Target. It's probably Target, Bubble Tea, right. CVS. So we use a, a simple method. It's 50, 20, 30, right? And you've probably heard this is, is that whatever your monthly salary is, no more than 50% should be costs that you have to pay, right? Okay. So if you're living in an apartment that's more than 50% of your take home, mm-hmm. you got to move. 20% should be going towards your savings or your retirement. Okay. If you can't live under 50, then that means that savings might have to be down to 15. 30% of your take home can go to miscellaneous, like kind of whatever. Got it. Okay. Within that, is where you should be prioritizing what it is that you want to spend on. Got it. Now, again, if you are living over 50, right? So then you should pull from then that you 30. Need to be pulling yeah. from that 30. One of the things that I cut out was going to Target. Like, I'm serious. <laughs> I actually just don't go there anymore because I get distracted and I stress shop. Right. I get stressed out and then I'm just like thinking I'm going to, I'm like, oh, I'm going <laughs> to become a baker. Let's do it. <laughs> For me, eating out, I don't mind spending money going out to eat because I'm a food. I love food. And mm-hmm. for me, it's a way to bond with my kid. I'm totally. a single mom. He's 16. It's it, We go out to yeah. dinner. I clearly don't go get my nails done. Right. <laughs> That's so, actually a priority for me. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It, it, it's like an hour that I dedicate to myself. I'm like, not on totally. my phone. It makes me feel good. I, yeah. I prioritize coffee. Yeah. Exactly. Like, exactly. So you have to be honest with yourself. Yes. Like, what do you actually what do you actually like? What do you actually care That's about? Right. Yeah. That's right. Thank you so much for coming in, Ramona. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about your app and where we can find you so that our readers can download and, and kind of get this help today? Absolutely. So we're not a mobile app yet, but we're mobile responsive. So you can okay. go online, mymoneymyfuture.co. Okay. Um, you can find me on Twitter um, okay. at Ramona underscore Ortega and also the company at My Money, My Future. We're also on Instagram. We do a lot on Instagram. Find us on any of those um, places. Okay, we will. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. You can learn more about Ramona's work at MyMoneyMyFuture.co. So what is it like to pay off all your student loans? Our producer, Anna Parsons, chatted with writer Danny Funkhauser to find out exactly how she did it. Like, did she give up shopping completely? I got my master's in journalism, and that was a 12-month program that cost me in loans, uh, I think, just over $60,000. So it was on a 10-year plan, but I actually started overpaying, and uh, I finished paying off those loans in five years. Wow. And so you did that living in New York City on a writer's salary, correct? Of all the places I could go, knowing barely anyone and was working in journalism. What do you think was the driving force behind you wanting to pay them off as quickly as possible? Before I went to grad school, my parents were very anti-loan. They were like, it's going to be something hanging over your head. You're going to 
feel like a prisoner. You're not you know, going to be able to make your own decisions around money. But I wanted a job that I would love. And so I wanted to go to grad school. And it was it was worth it to me. But I think I wanted to prove something to my parents. It's what was driving me and, and what made me be really on it when someone else might not feel that. What kind of sacrifices did you have to make? I mean, it was looking at my costs and what were variable costs and what were set costs. Obviously, I chose an apartment living with roommates where you know, it wasn't the most central. It was it was actually in Greenpoint. It was a comfortable neighborhood, but a fairly cheap rent. The other variable cost was really food. You don't need to eat out all the time. You don't need to get lunch, um, you know. So it was a lot of making my own lunches and trying to figure out something that was healthy, that was going to be filling, but it was also pretty cheap. For example, baked potatoes with uh, chili on top is like, that was like the cheapest meal. It was like a $2 meal that was actually very filling. Do you have any other food tips for us? I I got to admit, I just purchased a lunch that was $13.39. Yeah. And you, you probably could have bought the ingredients at the store for so much less. Like I'd much rather buy like a bunch of kale and some eggs and, you know, some like olive oil and lemon juice and make like a salad. Yeah. Like a kale and egg salad. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Would you typically do that on a Sunday or would you, you know, create your meals as the week went on? I would do it on a Sunday. I would actually um, create a bunch of stuff and it was usually really good Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday by Thursday. It was kind of like, all right, I'm sick of this. Um, So I think that's where though, if you, if you're good about it and you do it on Sunday and eat it for four days, I think Friday you should you know, treat yourself and have something old, something different. I was actually thinking about that method just now because I'm like, okay, I it is a Friday. I'm at the office. It's right before yeah. vacation. Like, it would be fun to have a meal out as long as this wasn't my normal. And because this mm-hmm. is my normal, it's no longer special. Yeah. And then you actually get, you know, you appreciate it more. What about clothing? Would you buy um, at thrift shops? Would you just like look for things on sale? Would you just not buy anything at all? So I had a rule about clothing and it was if I already own something, I can't buy it. And so if I had, say, a black cardigan sweater, I just couldn't buy that because I already had that. This happened to me a lot with shoes. It was like I have one pair of like black boots and I would wear those all winter long. And I think it also helps that I'm a very simple person in terms of how I dress. But there were times when I I had something and um, like a pair of like black leggings and really wanted like a better pair. And it was just like, no, like I have this. If I want to put this outfit together, I have the thing that I need because it's so easy to impulse shop. And that was the way that I uh, fought against that and was able to say no to stuff that I saw in the store. Oh, yeah, seriously. Because I feel like I'm one of those people who like, I look at my closet and I'm like, I just don't have enough. And it's like, Anna, how many pants can you have? I remember when you wrote the article for the billfold for all the listeners out there. Danny wrote an article about how she paid off all of her student loans. I'm going to be really honest. I still have about $100,000 worth of loans. I remember reading it and saying like, okay, I want to do what Danny's doing. How do I make it work for me? And Honestly, I still haven't done it. And I wonder like what separates a person like you from a person like me, if it's just like the immediate gratification. I need to figure out how to make the changes, you know, necessary. Yeah, and I think it's it's important to think through your own values and what you want to spend money on because the only way you can make a long-term change is if it really fits into your values. I have a lot of friends who actually do have like, you know, the same amount of loans as, as you still have. And it's just like, that's not going to be five years. Like mine was a little bit less. So it was, I was able to get through it, but travel is really important to me. And so I didn't travel a lot during that time, but I did 
go on this like 10 day trip to Puerto Rico on, you know, stayed in a, a hostel and like got discount tickets. It was important to me to not give up everything because I still had to be happy. I find that a challenge of mine is when people ask to hang out on the weekends. I find that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm often booby trapped into plans that require a lot of money or drinking. Yeah. And I would actually say, obviously, I, I feel like there's a success story in my story, but I think I think we all make choices. And uh, one thing I regret is my time in New York that I didn't have more fun with people because I did. I had a lot of good friends there and I didn't go to happy hours after work that much. I stayed in on weekends a lot. And this, you know, sense of like, oh, I need to save money was definitely driving a lot of that. And, um, you know, now that I've moved away from New York, I, I look back on, you know, my late 20s that I was there. And I was like, I really could have done a lot more and had deeper friendships had I not been so concerned about never spending money. So, I mean, I think that goes back to the same thing in terms of like, you know, deciding what your values are and, uh, you know, is this paying off loans uh, worth it to you? Or do you want to really have a more balanced life because you're giving up something each way? So I grew up in a household where my parents were always in debt and it just became normal to me. And I realized that a lot of the reason why I'm so comfortable having such a large student loan balance is because debt was normalized. Yeah, it's kind of like setting a new normal for yourself, which is really interesting, especially as you go get older and, you know, even into your 30s. Like, uh, I think something I do right now is I kind of look for other role models because I agree with a lot of things that my parents did, but there's some things that I, I have a different way that I want to do it. And it really helps to have um, a role model who you can see what they're doing and how it's working for them and uh, be able to adopt that mentality. Yeah. And not be tied down by the past, because I think a lot of my problem, too, as I look back at some of the financial choices that I made with a lot of shame Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, it really uh, hurts my present because mm-hmm. I'm so attached to those negative memories or those regrets. Yeah, yeah. Shame. There's nothing good about shame. It it doesn't help anyone. I've been wanting to get somebody on the podcast like you who like kind of made frugality work and made it. I mean, I th- I think you made it normal. I knew you while you were here. You really made it work. Yeah. And I think it was also a, you know, it was definitely a season of my life. And once the loans were paid off, I had to kind of, you know, decide like, okay, what do I want to spend my money on now? What is life like now that you don't have any loans? I feel like there was definitely a, uh, a phase where I just didn't know what to do. Um, because I had, like, I'm a person who does really well with goals where I was like, I want to pay off these loans and I'm going to do the things to make it happen. And so once I did, it was kind of like, well, what is my goal now? Like, do I want to save for a house? Do I, you know, what do I want? And, um, and I, I also had the habit of not feeling okay spending money. So it was like, wait, should I go on this trip? Like, and then it's like, yeah, you know, you, you saved up all this time so you could do things like that. So you could go on the trip. Um, so I had to really like start to give myself permission to spend money Um, but I also, I also do appreciate the structure. And, um, so now, I mean, I guess I'm looking at retirement and, uh, you know, the best ways to do that. I'm starting to think about investing, which is something obviously when I had loans, I, I didn't think about that at all, but, but now that I have the flexibility, it's like, okay, you know, here's some things that I can start working on. I admire you a lot. I hope that even though I am now 33 and I don't want to say I've wasted time because I've had, um, I have some really great memories of the past, you know, a few years and the money that I spent during it. 
I um, I just think I'm now ready to start that season of my life. So I'm gonna take I'm gonna take some of the advice that you've given me and try to apply that moving forward. Yeah, yeah, and I think like it is a trade off, and you know you've you had a lot of fun, and like I I like that you say that you um, you enjoyed spending that money because you should, and and then you can go through a season where maybe you're spending less, but um, you should always enjoy the the season that you're in. Thank you so so much. Um, where can people find you? So you can find me everywhere at, at Danny Finkhauser. That's my name on all the social media profiles. Um, I also wrote a book recently, shamelesslybook.com. So you can check that out. Awesome. Pay off your loans, people. Be like Danny. Thanks so much for having me. This was fun. You can find Danny Finkhauser on Twitter. So we hope that helped. That's it for today's show. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Seriously, it's like ridiculously easy now. Just while you're in the iTunes app listening to our podcast, scroll down a little further and tap the stars. All five of them. You need to tap all five of them. You should also join the Bustle Huddle Facebook group to continue the conversation. Let us know issues you want us to dive into on future episodes. More money stuff? Celeb stuff? Relationship stuff? Next week, we're talking about fangirls, obsessions, and Dungeons and Dragons. As a woman who had to teach herself how to play Dungeons & Dragons to be able to DM, I think that it's two very different things. A woman entering the fields of Dungeons & Dragons is going to be at a little bit of a disadvantage just because of how cis male it's been. The Bustle Huddle is produced by Julia Shu, Michaela Heck, and Anna Parsons. I'm your host, Caitlin Aber, and I'll see you next week. 